Good evening. Good to see you back in the Lord's house tonight. Would you stand with me, please? Let's turn to page 380. Page number 380. Revive us again. We'll sing all four verses as we begin tonight. Page number 380. Sing it out on the first. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and hath cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Amen. You may be seated tonight. It's been a blessing to have the Assurance Trio with us, and they're going to come and sing another song for us at this time. I'm not worried in my soul where this old world may go or what I see on the news today. I'm not weeping with regret. I've chosen not to fret about this ever-changing world and its ways. But I've put my attention on that heavenly intervention that brought me out of darkness into light. It's not mind over matter. It's more than worthless chatter. It's all about the blood of Jesus Christ. I still have a Bible, my guide to survival that's brought me to this place. I still believe the Christian old-time convictions are the answer for this world today. Old saints are still praying, old sinners who are straying are receiving God's saving grace. Yes, the old rugged cross is still saving the lost. Thank God some things never change. God's word is still moving across the nations and proving that he is still the same today. There's not a different approach. It remains as he wrote, and it can't be explained away. They say my convictions and religious addictions must all be rearranged. But I've been on my knees. 
assures me that some things never change. I still have a Bible, my guide to survival that's brought me to this place. I still believe the Christian old-time convictions are the answer for this world today. Old saints are still praying, old sinners who are straying are receiving God's saving grace. Yes, the old rugged cross is still saving the lost. Thank God some things never change. Old saints are still praying, old sinners who are straying are receiving God's saving grace. Yes, the old rugged cross is still saving the lost. Thank God some things never change. Yes, the old rugged cross is still saving the lost. Saving the lost. Thank God some things never Uh, what a blessing, and, he, and the lost is still getting saved, amen. We had one call on the Lord this morning, and uh, so that's a glory hallelujah right there. Somebody say amen, amen. Well, uh, it's certainly good to have you uh, back uh, tonight, and uh, after that message this morning on Pride, I didn't know who was going to come back tonight, amen, and I'm uh, glad that you're here. We need it, amen. We need, we need the Bible. We need the preaching of the Word of God. We need to be confronted in who we really are, but thank God for who He really is. And uh, such a blessing. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight because we need the Lord and we need Him to meet with us as well. And so let's pray tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Rich Raymer if you'd stand back there and open us in a word of prayer. Amen. Just have a couple announcements. Of course, don't forget about each night uh, this week, 7 o'clock, Monday through uh, Friday, be our revival meeting uh, services. And again, we do have some prayer cards, or I'm sorry, some uh, uh, cards out there, some uh, flyers and things. If you'd like to pass those out, maybe invite someone to come with you uh, this week. And then also wanted to make sure that our parents, of, of if you have kids, in Faith Baptist School, make sure that you're aware we are dismissing at noon each day uh, this week because that's it's a lot for people to be here all day and then come back and be here all night. And so we're trying to make their day a little bit shorter and give them a little breather uh, so that they can uh, enjoy the services uh, in the evening time. And so make sure that you're aware of that. Come on ahead. Amen. Let's all stand together again. Let's turn to page 377. Page 377, <clears throat> set my soul afire, Lord. We need them to set our soul on fire this week, amen. Let's sing it out, all three verses tonight. Page 377, set my soul afire, Lord, for thy holy word. Burn it deep within me, let thy voice be heard. Millions. 
That needs to be each one of our prayer every day. Amen. Lord, burden me for souls and set me afire for you. And ask Brother Micah Quinlan if you would pray for the offerings tonight, please. Amen. You may be seated tonight. no greater life than one that is used to serve the Lord. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Love that song. Thank you, ladies. Page 651. Be our last song together. Let's stand one last time, please. Page 651. The Glory Land Way. Sing it out on the first. I'm in the way, the bright and shining way. I'm in the Glory Land Way. Telling the world that Jesus saves today. Yes, I'm in the glory land way I'm in the glory land way I'm in the glory land way heaven is nearer and the way grow with clearer for I'm in the glory land way listen to the call the gospel call to take get in the glory land way Wonder, come home, oh, hasten to obey, and get in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. Heaven is nearer, and the way groweth clearer for I'm in the glory land way. 
growing grow with clearer more. I'm in the glory land way. Amen. Great singing. You may be seated. Really appreciate the good singing today. Appreciate the good singing from Assurance Trio today, man. And so they're going to come and sing one final song for us tonight. With anguish in their soul, Israel came to the sea. Surrounded by an army with nowhere to flee Waves of disbelief seem to swell with the tide They asked, has God forsaken us and left us here to die? Moses stood to his feet and lifted up his rod cried stand still and watch the mighty hand of God a great wind rolled the waves away and dried up the ground I can almost hear Moses cheering on the crowd we go on by the grace of God we will go on think of all he's done don't stand here at the water's edge have faith and be strong be strong in the name of the Lord Have you been deeply wounded by an heartless enemy? Just keep your faith anchored in his never-changing word. Then, child of God, cry out, lift your voice and be heard. We will go Be strong in the 
get a chance to, to talk to the loads and, and certainly even these young ladies as well. They are a blessing, amen, and, and just a precious uh, testimony from the Loeb family and just faithful, uh, faithful servants in the Lord. Uh, sure was reminded of that uh, on that song uh, that those ladies just got through singing of when we were going through the life of Moses. And there are no dead ends with our God, amen. And uh, just when things look the bleakest, that's usually about the time he steps in and parts the waters, just to remind you that he's the one really in control. And so what a blessing, uh, what a blessing. Well, it's already been good today, but it's not through, amen. And so, Brother Herring, you come and preach the word to us tonight, brother. What a song. Isn't that great? I appreciate that. Listen, if you, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go to the back table and, and buy some good music and take it home with you. And uh, it'll help you. Your music ought to pick you up, not drag you down. Listen to something. Listen, listen to something that draws you close to the Lord. All right. Now, that's probably not country music. I, I you know, I mean, your dog died. You know, your cousin ran off with your wife. Uh, and everybody got drunk. I mean, that's basically, you know, the, the sum total of it. So, I mean, look, just find something that'll lift you up and help you. Amen. Amen. And uh, that's good music, and it draws you close to the Lord. Hope you'll uh, get the opportunity to do that. Brother Sam's new uh, commentary is out on the book of John. You ought to go by and get a copy of that, boy. Just great stuff. I appreciate the pastor have an assurance here today. They've been a blessing to me and my wife and uh, uh, love Heartland. And, and they've got some good material back there. Uh, just some good stuff that uh, uh, Brother Jet has put out. Some counseling material. Just solid stuff on that. So if you get a chance, do that. And love the Logs. Appreciate them. And uh, I've known them for, for quite a while. And uh, just thankful to see how God's using them now and uh, their ministry at the college, and, and uh, glad, glad we're all here together at this place. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Romans chapter 4. Had a great afternoon. By the way, the, the, the mission apartment is, is wonderful. Thank you for that. It's a great place. It's easier to stay where we are than a hotel room. It really is. It's, just, it's more like home, and you're able to settle in and uh, get settled in, and, and so it's great. We, we appreciate that. Very nice. And the facilities here are beautiful. So you don't just have good facilities, but, but somebody's keeping them up well. And I think that's a testimony. God's given you an amazing location and a visible location, and uh, it's, it's fantastic. So thank you for, for your heart, and, and it's, obvious that, um, it's obvious that you're... Um, uh, excited about what God's doing here, and, and uh, it's great. I, I was honored today to meet the family of Dana Mabry. <laughs> I mean to tell you, I mean, Brother Steve's a great guy, but I want to tell you, he's honored to be married to Dana. I just want to say that right off the bat. What a lady. I mean, how many of you know the Mabrys over Southwest? My soul. They went with us to the Holy Land, and, and she just has the heart of a lion, I mean, she is such a, such a sweet spirit. We fell in love with Dana and Steve, and we're so honored to have them with us. And, of course, the Gaddises and so many others. But uh, I'm just so glad to, to uh, uh, meet her family, and what a, what a blessing um, she has been in just a little bit of time we were able to spend with them. Well, here we are, Romans chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 13. Now, the subject is faith. 
And the illustration that God is going to use about faith is Abraham. And Abraham wasn't a perfect man, and we know that. We read the Bible, we can, we can see that. In fact, in fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, um, it could possibly be called not the hall of faith, but the hall of failure. Because every person in it, almost without fail, has an outstanding failure somewhere in their narrative given to us in the Bible. So these were not perfect people. Sometimes we judge faith differently or measure faith differently than God does. We, we see faith as a lifetime. Did you know that nobody really honestly lives a full lifetime of faith? We all struggle. We all have heartaches and difficulties and we get weak and we falter and we fail and we fall and we get up. And I mean, the whole bit. What God has given us in Hebrews chapter 11 is instances of faith, highlighting moments in the life of these people where they knew where to place their faith. And so here we're going to look at, at Abraham in, in Romans chapter 4. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, <clears throat> the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Father, help us now and open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to your word. Give us, dear God, the things that we have need of. Speak to our hearts clearly. And uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for what you did in our hearts this morning. We ask now, Lord, that you would work again. If there be someone else here that doesn't know Christ, is not assured of their salvation, Lord, save them. I pray we'll give you the honor and the glory for all of it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. I'm going to preach to you tonight on the subject of faith. And I, I want to say right from the get-go that I realize that is very much of a bread and butter subject when it comes to people that have been saved for any length of time. In fact, I, I would go so far as, as saying that that you've probably never heard in any pulpit of a Bible-believing church a message that did not either directly deal with the subject of faith or at least indirectly was linked to the, the realization that, that we as the people of God must, must live our life by faith. And so every Bible message you've ever heard, every single one of those somehow was connected 
to this matter of faith. In fact, our entire Christian journey from start to finish is permeated by faith. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So in the very beginning, when you, when you come to Christ, you come to Christ by faith. You can't see Him. You can't touch Him. You can't hear Him, so to speak, audibly. But down deep in your heart, the Spirit of God works within you, and you make your way out and walk an aisle and come down, and by faith, you put your faith and trust in Him. The reason people struggle with that is because it's not something tangible. Like, give me something to do. How much money do I need to pay to buy a ticket to heaven? How, how, how many ladies do I have to help across the street, whether they want to be crossed or not? You know what I'm saying? I mean, what, tell me what to do. Give me, give me, give me some, some things that I have to do in order to earn salvation. And, and, and that's why people struggle when you find out it, you can't earn it. It's by, it's by, it's by faith. It's, it's by the grace of God. You're saved by grace through faith. Then the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty that we're to stand by faith. Well, what does that mean? That means that every position we take in life, the, 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 the where we stand as believers ought to be faith stands on everything that we do in life. Then second Corinthians five, seven says that we're to walk by faith. And so our progress through this life, not just where we stand, but where we go and what we do and how we do it, it's all by faith. In fact, four times in the Bible, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And so every part of our life, when you're saved by faith in Christ, that's just the beginning of your faith journey. Now the reality of the matter is, is as you live as a Christian and as you go about your, 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 your daily um, journey, uh, as a believer in Christ, your faith is going to be challenged and you're going to, you're going to be called upon to have faith in the Lord a, as you go through that. I think sometimes we almost become humanistic because what we would like is we'd like somebody to give us 10 ways in which we can be a victorious Christian. And if we just one, two, three, four, check all the boxes, bam, there we are. It doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Sometimes Young men will go to a Bible conference somewhere and they'll, 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 you know, it's a church growth conference. We used to have soul winning conferences, but anyhow, uh, it's a church growth conference. How can I go here and listen to this guy who's got a successful church? Tell me how to have a successful church. I and mean, what the realization is, if, if anything is done worthwhile in any ministry, it's by faith. Okay, there's a stump somewhere on the back 40 where he learned how to get on his knees before God and beg God's power down. And well, yet we won't step one, step two, step three, step four. And we've become humanistic in our approach to church planning and, and to church work and to the Christian life. No, it's, it's by faith. It's by faith. When God began to move my heart um, uh, to go to Idaho and plant a church after... Many years there in my home state of Georgia, I had ministered for 30 years there, and, and he began to move my heart. Well, I had been to Idaho and done a conference or two out in that area and fell in love with the place, and boy, I mean, the mountains are there, and they're snow-capped in the winter, and it's beautiful summers and high desert, and it's dry heat, dry coal. I mean, it's an amazing place, and so I, I, wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't looking to leave Georgia, but if God was going to run me out of Georgia then, then I, I would have chosen Idaho. But the problem was I, I didn't know how everything was going to work out. And so my idea was sort of this, you know, 
Lord, I think it's a great idea. And I'm going to leave out tonight, if I could, a, a, a pen and paper. And if you could just fill out and explain to me how this is going to work. Because I, I got to cut loose from a salary. So how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to take care of my wife? I want, I want to make sure, Lord, that, that she's okay. Because she's been with me in the early years of my ministry. And she's made plenty of sacrifices. And I'd like to make sure she's taken care of. My kids are moving out with me, and so they're going to get married there. And in fact, if this happens, all my grandkids are, are, are not going to be native Georgians. They're going to be native Idahoans. And, and so, Lord, if you, look, just, if you just show me how it's going to work. And sign your name to it, and I'll sign my name underneath your name, and we'll get going. But you know what? God never signed a thing. And in fact, the reality was I had no idea how it was going to work. I stepped before my church and resigned uh, on a Sunday night and uh, told them what God was doing and stayed a couple of months with them to uh, help get a transition into a, to a man that God had already put in place. And, and, and then we started going around raising support and heading out, uh, telling people of our plans to head out to Idaho. And, and the reality of the matter is, I wasn't sure what God was going to do. I don't know, if, you know Jim Rushing, preacher, I don't know, Dr. Rushing, great, great preacher, he's with the Lord now. But he found out God was doing some things in my life, so he said, Brother Dean, I'm going to take you out to eat. So he, he drove down and picked me up, we went out to eat, and he began to ask me some questions, and, and uh, uh, he said to me, he said, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to play checkers with God. And I thought, you know, um, the son's really got to him bad. I mean, you know, he's, something's, something's cooked his egg up here. I don't, what, what, do you, what do you mean? I said, what do you, Doc, what do you talk about playing checkers with God? He said, you ever play checkers? I said, well, of course I play checkers. He said, well, here's the deal. This is what's happened in my life. When God makes a move in my life, he's done until I make a corresponding move to the move that he made. Then when I make my move, you know what God does? God moves. And, and, and God, God will move in direct correlation to what we respond to him in faith. What you're wanting, Dean, is for God to just go ahead and make all the moves so that you can see how everything works out. And he said, that's not how God works. And I want to tell you, it was a great, it was a great lesson. It was a great lesson for me. Now, I want to say this to you. I don't care, I don't care how many Sunday school pins you have for faithful attendance in Sunday school. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care if you've got a degree behind your name from a Bible college. I, I, don't, I don't care how aged a veteran you are in the work of God. Can I tell you something? Your flesh will always want to walk by sight. That, that's the nature of the beast. That's who we are. Show me. Let me see how it works. But God, God doesn't work that way. And the reality of the matter is, this church is a faith venture. It, it continues to be a faith venture, and it will always be a faith venture. Now, guys, I want you to look at me. Listen to me carefully. You have to have the integrity of a business. You've got to be honest with your money, honest with how you deal with your money, and honest before your community. 
But there are going to be times this man's going to stand up in front of you and he's going to say, God's leading me to do something. And you're going to say, well, that don't figure out on a calculator or a chalkboard. But I'm going to tell you something. If you can figure it out on a calculator and, and work, the, work the problem out on a chalkboard every single time, you're not walking by faith. You're walking by sight. And we have to learn to listen to the man of God and understand that, 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 that his, heart, his heart is in tune with God. And there are going to be times when God, the Holy Spirit, is going to whisper to him a direction that he wants to go in. And I just want to encourage you to get all behind him. Because if this place ever stops being a faith ministry, it stops being a New Testament church. So get all in. I mean, just listen, don't be one of those ones that's dragging his heels and saying, well, preacher, I don't see how. No, listen to me. You, you, if you don't see how, it's probably God's in it. Probably God is right in the middle of it. And so just, just listen, God's not, going, God's not obligated to prop us up in our comfort zone. What God's looking for is a faith venture that God can bless. It's exactly what he's looking for. Now, the Bible the Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, listen to this, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Ow. That's an ouch statement. Really? I mean, I wouldn't have said that. Would you? I, that, I wouldn't have said that. No, I know what sin is. Sin is, sin is doing dope. Sin is living immorally. You know, sin is, sin is bad habits and, 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 and drinking and, and, and cursing and, and all those things. That's sin. No, God said, let me tell you what sin is. Sin, sin is doing anything that is not of faith. That could be preaching, teaching Sunday school, working in a Christian school, pastoring a church. I could, look, you may be all polished and all good, but if you're not living by faith, if, if you're not being challenged by faith, the Bible said that's a sinful life. Do you know why? Because, because that means you're trusting in the power and the authority of your own flesh. And anytime, anytime we're living in the flesh, we cannot, we cannot please God whatsoever. Now, now here we are in revival. So you know what God's going to do to you in this revival? God's going to stretch your comfort zone. He's going to stretch your faith beyond your comfort zone. That's what God's going to do. He wants to, he, he, he wants to I'm not saying that he's going to move you geographically. To Africa or Brazil or, or, or Japan or someplace like that. But I will promise you this, God's going to stretch your faith. That's why when you have a missions conference and you yield to the Lord, boy, you're like, man, <laughs> that was a step of faith. Boy, that was something else. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have another mission conference and maybe a couple of years later, you're like, oh, well, we just... No, we just, we just increased our giving and you and the wife get together and you sit down and talk and you, well, what are we going to do? I don't know. I just feel like God wants us to do something. Why? Because he's stretching your faith. When you get to the place to where you're comfortable and it all figures out and there's no faith involved, God's going to stretch you beyond your comfort zone. Listen to this verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. By faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, number one, must believe that he is. And number two, he must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know what that means? That means, number one, you have to believe that God is who God said he is. Number two, you have to believe that God will do what God said he will do. Do you believe that God keeps his promises? 
Now, we can talk about, we can talk about Heartland and, and, and the Logue family and the missionaries. I see your faith promise board back there. You can, you can talk about the missionaries and, 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 and some that are out from under this church even. And you can say, boy, God's going to use them in a great way. Well, you probably don't have a lot of skin in that game. I mean, it's real easy for me. It's real easy for me to, to, to pray for missionaries over there. I'm not over there. I don't know what all's going on. And, 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 and the reality of the matter is I don't have a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in that. No, I, I may have some money involved, and I understand that we support and we're sincere in our support. But, but, but here's what God is saying. God is saying, I, look, I, I want you to trust me. Dean, I don't want you just to trust me for the, for the, for the miracle that Heartland needs or the, or the Lowe's may need or one of the missionaries may need. See, that's easy for me to do. God is saying, no, I want, I want to know, do you believe I can do what you need me to do? Not some vicarious faith for someone else. God said, Dean, no, do you believe that I can do the miracles that you need in your life? So much easier to have faith. For somebody else. And the question is, can we trust God? Now, I want you to notice, first of all, in our text, if you'll jump back over there to chapter 4, I want you to notice the object of Abraham's faith. Look in verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. Now, watch this statement. It's going to be profound. Are you ready for this? You may need to grab your pew or hold on to the person sitting next to you. Here it is. Even who? Well, Shazam. That's a Gomer Pyle moment. Is that amazing? Can you imagine tonight that you came to church for me to stand here and to tell you that the object of your faith is supposed to be God? Isn't that, is that deep or what? Pastor, you've got to be kidding me. No, no, let me ask you a question then. If it's so self-obvious that our faith should be in God, why is it that we trust everything else but God? Visa, Master Charge, Discover, Mailbox, Miracles. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the reality of the matter is, the, the reality of the matter is, we will whittle everything down that possibly can be gotten a hold of, and then when none of it works out, then we come to God. Now, I'm from the Deep South. I'm in Georgia. I'm talking about old-fashioned, I mean, back in the swamp camp meeting style meetings, when, when somebody has a real problem, you know how deep the problem is by how their voice quakes. So they'll come up and say, preacher. I'm like, oh boy. Oh boy. Preacher, all we got left now is God. And I'm like, really? And you bat off. I mean, is that the God that spoke the world into existence? Is, I mean, is, I'm just asking. I'm just asking for a friend. Is that, is that the God that parted the Red Sea? that healed the lepers, that gave sight to the blind, that raised the dead? I mean, listen, is, is that the God of the universe? And now all of a sudden you're in such a bad place that all you've got left is God? No, no, listen to me. Listen, God, God is all you need. God is where you should have begun. Somebody says, preacher, all we can do now is pray. That's where you should have started at. That's, listen, that's, that's not a life raft 
to, to, to grab hold of as you're going under. No, that's, that's the very beginning of everything in our life is for our faith and our trust in God and our willingness to pray to God and to take our problems to God and, 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 and to trust God to do the miracles that we need God to do. Let me tell you something about your faith. Remember now, remember the object of our faith is God. Now let me tell you about your faith. Your faith is only as valid as its object. The validity of your faith is determined by where you've placed it, okay? I heard a story one time of a man and his son who lived up north somewhere. And, and one of the things that they liked to do was they liked to ice skate, okay? And so it's coming near the end of the skating season and his son came to his dad and said, Dad, could we, could we go skating? I'd, I'd like to do that. And, and so... The dad said to him, all right, we'll try to work that out. And so they, they set a time and, and loaded their gear back in the back of their station wagon. They drove down to the lake and they dropped the tailgate on the station wagon and strapped their skates on and got out on the lake. And he said it was a beautiful, sunshiny day toward the end of the, of the season. And, and it was unusually warm. And he said as they skated around, he, he heard something behind him uh, where his son was at. And he said he turned around to see his son just as the ice broke beneath his son and he plunged into the frigid waters of that Minnesota lake that they were on and his son began to scream and began to cry and beg out for his dad to help him and his dad said before I could get to him he disappeared. Long after they had gotten the boy's body out and his lifeless body I remember hearing the father weep and cry and he made this statement he said had I known that the ice was thin we never would have gone skating. You see, the reality of the matter is this. They had, they had great faith in thin ice. So it doesn't matter the volume of your faith. I think of the people that live uh, in the area of the country where I minister, Mormon people. They have great faith in an object that's not worthy of their faith. They're trusting in Joseph Smith and the Pearl of Great Price and and the Book of Mormon and all the nonsensical things that they believe. I find more truth in a Marvel comic book uh, than I do the writings that they call their sacred books. And yet there are people that are staking their salvation on those things. They've got great faith in thin ice. It will not hold them up for eternity. On the other hand, let's flip that coin around. I was preaching in Indiana. We had breakfast in a little cafe and the pastor said to me as we looked out across the frozen whiteness of, of, of northern Indiana and he said to me, he said, uh, uh, would, you like to, uh, would you like to walk over? They, there's some shops over here. Would you like to go over and look at those? I said, well, I'd be glad to. He said, all right, we'll just cut across the lake here. And I said, pardon? He said, we'll just cut across the lake here. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm a Georgia boy, okay? Now, in the millennial, I'll walk with you on any lake you want to walk on. But right now, in this physical body, I'm not walking on a lake, okay? I mean, I've, I've preached in Minnesota where colleges park, they park their cars on the lake. What in the world's wrong with people? I mean, do they not know what's underneath that ice? And so they're, you know, the idea is, oh, no, this is, it finally froze over. We've got a new parking lot. Didn't have to pay for it. Look, I ain't parking out there. I'll tell you right now. And so I, I, I told him, I said, you got a four-wheel drive? And I said, and, I, and, and, and a logging chain? 
hook the logging chain around me. I'll get about three feet out there, but when I do thumbs up, buddy, you better juice it. I mean, get me out of there. I'm not walking. I am not walking on ice. But here's the reality of the matter. Even though I've got not that much faith, it hold me up. You understand what I'm saying? Great faith in thin ice does no good. But, but, but even though we have small amount of faith, if it's placed in the right object, if we place it in, in God, uh, we can, look, we can skate on it. You can park a semi-rig on it. I mean, they've got roads that here, semi-rigs are cutting across lakes to get out to. The guy told me it was in, in the, it was in the springtime. And, and he said, you know where my favorite fishing spot is? I said, well, he's about two miles right out there. I said, I drive my truck out. We drill a hole. I drop a little shed over it. We spend time fishing. So I'm just, I, I, I'm just, I'm just telling you that, that the reality of the matter is, is that our faith has to be in something that is valid. And you may be here tonight and you may say, preacher, that's all I got. Well, then place it in the right person. Amen. Preacher, I ain't got much. I'm tired. This has been a battle. I'm worn out. I've been praying for this for years and nothing has happened. And it seems like, it seems like uh, uh, my faith is getting weaker as we go along. Well, take whatever faith you've got and put it in Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's the one that's able to do above and beyond anything that you and I can ever ask or think. Second thing I want you to notice is this, and that is that your knowledge of the object determines the volume of your faith. I want you to think about that statement. We, we said the object of our faith is God. The, the knowledge of, your, of, 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 the, of the object of your faith determines the volume. The more you know about what you're putting your faith in, the greater your faith can grow. So, sometimes I think we feel like faith comes by some osmosis. You know what I'm talking about? You probably heard that on Oprah. Um, you know, whatever they call that thing that just chases you around and all of a sudden you've got good vibes. Now, we're not talking about vibes, okay? We're talking about faith. And the pastor, the pastor doesn't say, hey, we want you to meet us on Tuesday night. We're going to get down on our knees before God and we're going to pray that God just rolls us over with a great wave of faith. That's not how you get faith. You don't come to an altar and get goosebumps and duck pimples and, you know, you get the shimmies and the shivers and all of a sudden you go out and say, whoa, I believe God. That's not how you get faith. You know how you get faith? You learn more. And the more you learn, the more you grow in your faith towards God. You know why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the courage to face the furnace? Because earlier they found out that God could sustain them uh, on a diet that, that, that was far less than what the king's meat was. And so when it came time to face Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, face the fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not even careful. This is a no-brainer. We, we already found out what God can do. We don't have to worry about it. We're not even going to think about it. We're not even going to have a counseling session about this. No, we will not, we will not bow. We will not burn. I, I love the story of David. I love the story of David. David shows up under the providential hand of God right when Goliath walks out and thumps his chest and defies the armies of the living God. And so David stands there and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he is defying the armies of the living God? What's, is, is anybody going to do anything about this? His older brother Eliab steps forward and says, shut up, boy. 
I know your mouth. You're just here to hot dog it off and brag. And, and, and you know, why have you left the few sheep that, that our father has put in your trust? Get out of here. Deliver the food you were sent and go home. You know what David said to him? Nothing. Do you know why? Because David wasn't going to waste his breath on somebody that was living under the auspices and the authority of the flesh. Listen to me. Whenever you decide you're going to live by faith, people that criticize you are going to be flesh people. The flesh never likes faith. And whenever somebody steps forward by faith, the loudest voices saying you're not making a good decision are probably going to be people that live by the flesh. And so David just turned his back on his brother and says, is there not a cause? So somebody went to King Saul and said, hey, man, listen, this guy isn't much. He's not really big. But I'm telling you something, he's talking big. You need to at least give him an ear and hear him out. So he goes up and, and Saul said, uh, I want you to tell me, why should, I, why should I allow you to go face it? You know that this guy's been fighting longer than you've been alive. And you're telling me you're willing to go down into this valley and face the giant. You know what David said to him? Two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, God sent a lion, along, uh, a lion came along and God sent the power into my heart and the courage and the faith into my life so that I could face the lion and protect the sheep that my father had given me. And so I went out and bearded the lion and I slew him. Later, a bear came along, and, and, and the same thing happened, and, and, and God's power overcame me, and I went down, and I fought the bear, and I figure this, if God can give me a lion and God can give me a bear, God can give me a giant. And so David waded down into that valley, the valley of Elah. I was just there this past April. David went down into that valley and went down to that brook, and, and he drew five smooth stones. You know why I got five stones? Somebody said, yeah, because Goliath had a bad aunt. His sister was mean. He had a cousin that could fight. No, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. But, but here's what I think. Because God never told him that, that one stone would do the job. And so David's loading the clip. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's loading it up, man. He look, I'm loading up, and I'll go back and reload if I have to. Somebody's not leaving this valley today. One of us, me and you, the giant came to him by force David went to the giant by faith and David said, you can come to me with your armor and your shield and all of your skills, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Anybody can sling a stone. You know that song the kids sang? Round and round and round and round. That's the dumbest song I've ever heard in my life. Dude, you don't go round and round and round and round with a giant or you'll be found in between his toes. He can stomp you in the ground. No, no. You know what David did? He took the sling and just slung it. God leaned over David's shoulder and went, and when he did, bam. Goliath said this, his last words, nothing like this has ever entered my mind before. Anyhow, so bam, Goliath hits the ground. David runs over, grabs Goliath's swords, cuts his head off and goes, whoo. When he did all the armies, the Philistines fled. I'm going to tell you something. David said, David said, I can face the giant because I faced a lion and I faced a bear. And I know that if God can give them to me, God can give him to me. I'm just going to tell you, it's our knowledge of the object that determines the volume of our faith. I heard of a, a preacher one time give an illustration of how he was in Canada preaching a meeting. And in those days, they would go, uh, they would go uh, Monday through uh, uh, Friday take Saturday off and then finish the meeting up on Sunday. And so here he is, and they've preached Monday through Friday 
Friday night, the pastor says, look, we got tomorrow off. Would you like to go see brother so-and-so that, that ministers to the, this Indian tribe on a reservation there in Canada? And he said, I haven't seen him since Bible college. I'd love to do that. So he said, the pastor said, all right, I'll pick you up in the morning. About seven o'clock, we'll go over there and have lunch with him. Have a great time, about a two-hour drive. So they get in the pastor's Volkswagen bug back in those days. This is in the 70s. And they take off on their venture to go see their old college buddy and, uh, and to spend some time with him and find out how his ministry's going. They get about an hour into the trip and the pastor says to the evangelist, he said, hey, you know where we are right now? And the evangelist looked around and said, I, I mean, yeah, we're going to, we're, we're going to see brother so-and-so and, and, and visit, visit his ministry there with the tribe that he's been ministering to all these. He said, no, I know you know where we're going. Do you know where we are? And he looked around again and said, I don't know, everything's white. I don't even see any road signs. He said, we are dead center of the deepest lake in all of Canada. And he said, in fact, they say, and I don't know who they is. You know what I'm talking about? They say, could you identify for me, please, who you're talking about? Well, preacher, they say, who is they? Anyhow, so, so he said, well, they say that they've never found bottom to this lake. By the way, there are mud holes in Georgia. They say the same thing about. But anyhow, <laughs> remember as a kid, they never found bottom to that. Okay, well, so this great vortex going down to the center of the earth. And so, so, so the pastor said, they've never found, they've never found the bottom here. And, and, and the evangelist said, I looked at the preacher and said, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, you're, you're serious. We're over the center of the deepest lake in all of Canada. He said, relax, brother. They say that the ice is seven feet thick here. And he said, preacher, I don't care how thick the ice is here. You should not have brought me out over this lake without asking my permission, first of all. And he said, now we've been college chums together, but he's the pastor and I'm the evangelist. And he said, I'm getting irritated. I, I'm, getting, I'm getting irritated. And he said, I, I'm just saying, man, I, you, you should have at least asked me. And he said, so I just shut my mouth and looked out the window and I thought, Lord, this guy's crazy. This pastor, are you, are you kidding me? He's brought me here. He said, I'm grumbling and griping. He said, all of a sudden, in the middle of my complaint, I heard, I, 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 felt, the, I felt a rumbling and I, I, I heard a roar. And he said, my heart just started trying to get its way out of my chest. It was just clawing its way up. And he said, I was trying to keep it down. He said, I, I literally, he said, I was sitting there and he said, I, I tried to just sort of levitate off the seat. Just, I was trying to, if I could just hover somehow and take my weight off the Volkswagen. He said, I knew exactly what was happening. The ice was splitting. It was going to open up, swallow me and Pastor Lunatic whole. We were going to find the bottom of the deepest lake in all of Canada. And we'd be dead frozen down there. My wife and children would never know what happened to us and they'd never hear from us again. He said, right as the fear just reached its crescendo, all of a sudden, a semi-rig blew right past us. <laughs> blew snow dust everywhere. He said, I mean, for a moment, we couldn't even see in front of us. And he said, I looked at the preacher and said, did you... <laughs> Did you see what I just saw? And he said, brother, I told you. I told you the ice is seven feet thicker. He said, you know what I did? He said, I just started bouncing up and down in that Volkswagen, just jumping and hollering and having a time. You know what happened to him? His knowledge of the ice increased the volume of his faith. When he realized, when he realized that the ice would hold up a semi-rig, he wasn't worried about the Volkswagen. Yeah. 
And I want to tell you, the more you learn of your God, the more you realize what God has done for you, the more you'll understand what God can do for you. Keep a, keep a prayer journal. Keep a track of the things that God has done for you. Abraham knew two things about God. Look in, look in verse number 17 again. Jump back with me. Chapter 4, verse 70. Watch this. As it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations before him who, who be believed. Even God, watch, which quickeneth the dead. You know what God can do? He can bring dead things to life. You may have a child whose relationship is dead to you and you to them. And it may seem to be hopeless to you. Can I tell you that God quickens the dead? God can bring dead finances, dead hope. He can bring it back to life. Notice what else he knew about God. And calleth those things which be not as though they were. God can bring something out of nothing. Abraham knew two things about God. God can bring dead things to life. And God can bring something out of nothing. You know what happened today in Cuna, Idaho? There was a church service where people came and sat and sang praises to God. People that had been born again and saved. Some on the doorstep of their house. Some in a little classroom somewhere back in the facilities we rent. You, you know what there was? You know what there was 18 years ago? There was nothing. There was no South Valley. There was, there, there was no assembly meeting there. There was no New Testament church. But you know what God did? God took nothingness and brought something out of it for His glory. He's the one that can do that. Notice verse number 19. The, the obstacles. Let me show you next the obstacles that, that faith overcame. Verse number 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not now his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. There were obstacles to Abraham's faith. His body was dead as far as reproduction was concerned. Sarah was barren. That was a very heavy word back in these days. And he considered himself not an obstacle, but an opportunity for God to do a miracle. You know what God will do for you? God will present you with a dilemma so that he can grow your faith. Without those dilemmas and without those challenges, your faith never grows. Remember, remember when there were 5,000 people sitting there starving and hungry? And Jesus said, we can't send them away hungry. Philip, hey Philip, hey Philip, what do we got to eat? And Philip said, um, Lord, we don't have the money if there was a place and there is no place. There's not even a Chick-fil-A around here. We can't feed anybody. We have no ability to do that. Do you know what the Bible said? Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do when he asked Philip. Well, why did he ask Philip? Because he wanted Philip to face the dilemma. Listen to me. When you get to the place where you arrive at, I can't, you've just arrived at where God can. When you're standing on I can't ground, you've just arrived at where God can. Don't run from God, run to God. Don't go off on your own and discourage it. No, stay real close to the Savior. Because when you get to the place where you can't do anything about it, you've just arrived at a place where He's going to do something that nobody else, nobody else can do. Last of all, let me show you this. Look at verse, look at verse 20. I love this. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able. 
also to perform. That's the credentials of faith. Some people make promises, but they can't keep them. Has your kid ever said to you, Dad, I'm going to buy you one day? Or Mom, you know what? When I get old enough, I'm going to buy you. And you're still waiting. And they're adults and they have their own children now. And you still haven't got your vehicle or your new house. Or they, they made a promise, but they didn't have any ability to keep the promise. They were sincere in their little hearts, but they never got the means or the wherewithal that they could fulfill the promise that they made. Can I tell you three things about God real quick? Number one, God makes promises. Amen. This book is, can I just say it this way, chopped full of them. I mean, cover to cover, God makes promises. Number two, God is able. That's what that verse said. He was able. God is able to keep them. Listen to me. Abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's how God can keep them. More and greater and more miraculous than you can even imagine. God is able to keep those promises. Here's the best part. Number three. God is willing to keep them. God's made you promises. They're all in the Bible. And, 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 and God is able to keep his promises to you. But here's the best part. God wants to keep his promises. He wants to. Years ago, my oldest daughter, Dixie. My daughters are Dixie, Tara, and Georgia. Those are all southern names, Bible names. And... Uh, if I had known um, we were moving out west to Idaho, they would be named Arapaho, Comanche, and Cheyenne. But uh, we were in the south, and so I gave them southern names, the heritage I grew up with. Dixie was a little girl. She had auburn hair with golden ringlets in it. I mean, she was just, still is, the joy. My, 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 what a girl. What a joy of my life. She's a little girl. She came up to me one time and she was just jitterbugging. She was just shaking all over. Daddy. I said, hey, Dixie, what's up? She said, Daddy, guess what I want? And I said, well, what do you want? She said, Daddy, I want a Cabbage Patch doll. Now, I don't know if you anything about a Cabbage Patch doll. First of all, we could not afford it back in what my wife refers to as our poverty days. Okay. <laughs> we could not afford that. Second of all, um, it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, it looks like it was mauled by a colony, not one, a colony of white-faced hornets. I mean, I mean, it is so pathetically swollen, it has body mumps. And here's, this, here's just swelling coming out everywhere, a little patch of hair up here. You can actually go up to, a, to the factory in Georgia, and you can stand there as it comes off the assembly line, and you can name it. And then after you name it, they have you step outside, men in white suits, put you in a wagon, and take you off for life. That's a doll, not a human being. But anyhow. So, I mean, she's, Daddy, I want to pay. They were $32. I'm not spending $32. Look, I said that. Listen, I can buy you a whole family down at the Dollar General. An entire family for one third of what that, I mean, a dollar a baby. I'll just buy you a, a husband and wife and three, four kids. You can take the whole family home and forget the cabbage patch doll. Now, I know it's not the same quality. You know, those dolls, you bring them home from the dollar store, and you lay them back, their eyes closed, and lift them up, and they're looking, smiling, lay them back. You do that three or four times, and one of the eyes stick. 
and son, you've got something going on in your house. I mean, you get up at night and you're looking over at that baby sitting on the counter and sure enough, that one eye is openly staring at you. And you're thinking, what's that knife doing by that baby doll? You know, I mean, they, they make movies about that kind of stuff. You know, if you grab it up too fast, the arm comes off. You can push the head in, use it as a cup holder. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go on. They're not high quality, I know that. But I'm not spending $32 on a baby doll. I can't afford that. Are you kidding me? So I said to her, I said, honey, um, why don't you just pray about it? It's a great idea. Oh, this is brilliant, Dean. Good job, theologian. Push her off on God. And so I said, why don't you just pray about it? And she looked at me, her eyebrows got me. She said, Daddy, I'll do that. So literally, I'm not exaggerating. My wife remembers this. That night, we had, we had prayer time where we go around the room and pray. And, and my, my son prays. Then it comes Dixie's turn to pray. And she says, now here it is. Remember this. Oh, God. Her voice is quaking. I'm like, son, it's on. I mean, she's praying now. She's getting a hold of the horns of the altar. And she said, oh, God, I want a cabbage patch doll so bad. If you'll give me that cabbage patch doll, I'll serve you all the days of my life. I opened my eyes and looked at my wife. I said, are you kidding me? Son, she was getting a hold of the horns of the altar and praying down God's fire. I mean, it was amazing. Well, she prayed and prayed. And every time we'd have a meeting together, she'd pray and pray. About three months into it, she came to me. She said, Daddy, guess what? I said, what, honey? She said, I'm still praying for the cabbage patch doll. And I'm like... You're telling me? You're driving me crazy. Of course I know you're, you're praying for it all the time. I wanted to sit down and put her on my knee and say, Baby, would you just let Daddy talk with you for a moment? Has God given you your cabbage patch yet? No, Daddy, yet. Well, you know, there's wars in the world. You know, people got heart trouble. There's cancer. I mean, there's some serious problems all around the world God's dealing with. You know, if God hadn't given you cabbage patch doll yet, maybe, maybe you need to pray for something more serious. That's what I wanted to tell her. But I knew it would break her little heart, and so I just hugged her and said, nah, that's right, baby, just keep on praying. And, you know, she took off just totally satisfied. I'm just going to keep praying. Well, that Thanksgiving, about five months later, after the beginning of this ordeal with her, we went up to my sister's for um, Thanksgiving. And uh, we pulled in, and my, my niece, Debbie, called me aside, and she said, uh, Dean, can I talk with you just a moment? I said, well, sure. We stepped into a side room there, and, and she said, I just want to ask you a question. She said, you know, every time there's a new department store opening, she said, I fill out one of the cards so that I can win something. I do it religiously. I've dropped my name in a box so many times I can't count. I've never won anything. But the new department store was opened up in downtown Cartersville, and she said, yep, sure enough, I was walking past, but something said, nope, fill it out, put it in. So she said, I don't know why I did, but I just wrote my name down, dropped it in. I got a phone call the other day. Miss Bruce, yes, you, you, uh, you filled a card out for our, our department store for, to win a prize. She said, yes, I did. And they said, well, congratulations, you won one of our prizes Come down, bring some ID, and we'll give you the prize. And she said, I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> whoa, the microwave. I won the microwave or, or the VCR. She's going through her head on all these things she could have won. And she said, I got down there and went up to the counter and showed them my ID. And they said, Miss Bruce, congratulations. And they handed me a bag. 
And this is what she said next. There were no hyphens. There were no commas. There was no semicolons. It was just all one big blurted out sentence. She said, Dean, I want a Cabbage Patch doll and wondered if I could give it to Dixie. (laughs) Five months after Dixie began praying. Now I want to tell you what I did. I started crying. And I'm sitting right there. I've been through all this. I've heard my little girl's prayers to God and begging God. And so I'm sitting there and I started crying. This is the honest truth. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this at all. She looked at me. See, she's a Southern Baptist and I'm independent Baptist. And you know, there's a little bit of difference there. And so she, she did it. When I started crying, she said, Hey, Hey man, I didn't know y'all had standards against cabbage patch dolls. (laughs) So help me. That's exactly what she said. And I'm thinking to myself, give us time. Give us some time. There's something in that book we'll come up with. And I'm waving her off and said, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. That's not it. And I told her the story and I said, go tell Dixie. She went to the back of the house and I heard a little girl say, Wah-hoo! and she started running through the house, jumped up into my arms, holding the ugliest baby I've ever seen in all my life. She named him Marvin. Still got Marvin. I mean, still ugly. Hadn't improved his looks at all. Ugly baby Marvin. But Dixie held Marvin up by one arm and said, Daddy, look what God gave me. And I said, baby, he sure did. And I put her down and I said, go tell everybody in the house. And I closed the door behind her when she left. And I wept again. And I said, oh, dear God, would you please forgive me for believing that you were so small that you couldn't handle the wars and the cancer and the heart and the finances and all the things that people are struggling with and yet still care enough for a little golden-haired girl that desperately wanted something that was big in her life, a Cabbage Patch doll. And I literally did this. I stretched my arms out and said, God, if I could just put my arms around you and thank you for being a better daddy than I've ever been. Thank you for being a father that loves us more than we can possibly imagine. Now, now here's, here's what I'm saying to you tonight. Uh, you, you, got, you got real problems. We're praying for Jim for a house. and praying for him today. Can I tell you that God, God cares as much about your needs and your problems and the miracles that you need than he did a Cabbage Patch doll for my daughter. And it could be that a giant has walked down into your valley and defied your living God. And maybe it is that, that, that he stumped his chest and maybe, maybe you need to just get back down in the valley of Elah in your life and ask God to slay your giant. Maybe there was a prayer that you prayed years ago or months ago and you put it on a shelf. You don't believe that God can save your kid. You don't believe that God can put your family together. You don't believe that God can do your miracle. Maybe you need to take that prayer off, blow the dust off of it and start praying it again because your God, it may not come. Listen, your God may not pay off on Friday night. It may not pay off in two months, but I want to tell you, your God always does the best for you within his will. Faith. Do you believe that God is who God said he is and that God can do exactly what God promised you he could do. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that tonight?